people fall in love? That's a difficult question for me. Um, but I think that we just get a certain amount of satisfaction and belonging from knowing that there's at least one person in the world that knows us for who we really are and they will continually come back to us and show us affection or acceptance even though they know all of our flaws. We fall in love because we can't help ourselves. I think um, for many of us, um, wanting to find someone and invest in a relationship with someone to share your life with is something that is a natural thing to do. It's an existential question. And I think, you know, what we all want is for a, someone who witnesses our own life. And it goes to the very question of why we're here and what would, would, would the world be any different if we weren't here? Most people feel compelled at some point in their lives to find somebody to love. And relationships are so much a part of normal life that we tend to think about them as something that makes us human. But why is it that we've evolved to fall in love? On the very first episode of Dissecting Love, we'll be asking why it is that humans have evolved to have relationships. Human relationships are a bit of an evolutionary puzzle for biologists because, in theory, men can have a lot more kids if they're not in a relationship. And uh, by that I mean a man can make a baby in the time that it takes for him to find a woman and have sex with her. But for a woman to successfully have a baby, she first has to find and have sex with a man, but then she also has to go through pregnancy and childbirth and breastfeeding and a whole lot of other stuff before the kid has any hope of being able to survive without her. And this difference in the rate at which men and women can have kids should really encourage men to move on to a new mate as soon as he can be sure that his previous mate has conceived a baby. And that's not because men are assholes, it's because babies are the currency of evolution. So any strategy that means more babies should become more popular over time. When we think about why we have relationships, we usually start to think about kids. And the argument goes that human babies are born so helpless um, and are such a huge burden on their parents that they really need two people to look after them. And it's true that our babies are pretty useless. I mean, when you compare them with a baby giraffe, who's able to walk within a few hours of being born, our babies are seriously undercooked. One estimate predicts that for human babies to be born at the same level of cognitive development as a chimpanzee baby, our gestation period would need to last between 18 and 21 months, instead of our usual nine. Can you imagine if mothers were pregnant for more than a year and a half? Part of the reason why our pregnancies last nine months and not 18 months is because humans have such big brains and really big heads and a woman's pelvis can only get so big if she still wants to be able to walk around on two feet. And so as the human brain grew bigger and bigger over time, babies had to be born earlier and earlier in order to be able to get through the birth canal. Also, pregnancy is really, really, really tough on a mum, energetically speaking. And by comparison, once the baby's born and is out in the real world, a mum can decide to invest energy into the baby at a slower rate that suits her better, 
and so it's more sustainable over a long period of time. Because babies are so hopeless when they're born, looking after them takes a lot of work for a really long time, and once you start to think about that time investment and that energy investment, then sharing the workload with a second person starts to sound like a pretty good idea. But current research in this area seems to be telling us that dads probably started to contribute to raising kids after monogamy had already evolved. And therefore, the fact that babies are pathetic doesn't necessarily contribute to the evolution of human relationships. So, what did cause human relationships to evolve? One suggestion has to do with infanticide, which is the risk of your offspring being killed by an outsider. This is a big problem for a lot of different animal species because roving males, solitary males, are super, super dangerous for females with babies. Take lions as an example. Lions live in prides that are made up of a dominant male and perhaps a couple of his brothers, as well as lots of females and their young. And young male lions are often unceremoniously kicked out of the gang when they reach a certain age and they become bachelors who roam around on their own. Sometimes these bachelors, uh, either alone or in a small group, will decide to take on the dominant male of a pride. And if the bachelors win the fight, the old male is kicked out and they become the new leaders. And the first thing that they do is they kill all the cubs of all the lionesses in that pride. Because by killing the cubs, the bachelors can force females to come into estrus again so they can mate with them and then sire their own offspring. Now, it's possible that infanticide was once a really big problem for early humans too. It definitely occurs in other apes, including orangutans and chimps. And perhaps by sticking around with their partner, men could defend their offspring against the threat that comes from other solitary males. And in those respects, uh, men could improve their fitness by helping their offspring to survive. So infanticide is one idea about why we might have evolved relationships. Another idea comes from a study that was published a couple of years ago by this guy, Sergei Gavriletz. And Gavriletz is a mathematical modeler and an evolutionary theorist. He decided to write a model that would test which of the different theories about the evolution of monogamy could actually evolve in a simulated population of early humans. At first, Gavrilet's models seemed to say that none of the usual theories to explain the evolution of relationships would actually work. None of them would evolve in real life. So despite the benefits that might come from, say, protecting your offspring against infanticidal males, or helping to raise them, these strategies would never really catch on in the population. And that's because... All you needed was a tiny proportion of the males in the population to cheat the system and to become freeloaders, and the whole thing would fall apart. And what I mean by that is that males who were cheaters, who just impregnated a female and then moved on, would always end up leaving more offspring behind than those who diligently stuck by their mates. And that means that the good guy strategies could never really take off in the population. But then Gavrilets decided to tweak the models and he introduced a crucial new dimension, variation between males. So his models now accounted for sexy Brad Pitt males as well as less attractive kind of John C. Riley males. And this changed the whole game. It turns out that monogamy could evolve as long as there was variation between males 
because the less attractive guys who wouldn't really be able to have many offspring under normal circumstances could all of a sudden develop a new winning strategy. These guys could provide for females uh, and also in doing so they would be providing for their offspring and in return these females would give them matings and sexual loyalty. So this is the breakfast in bed strategy. Gavrilet showed that this strategy could actually lead to the stable evolution of pair bonds in the population of humans. Now this is just a mathematical model and doesn't necessarily describe how human relationships actually evolved, but it does make a lot of sense and it poses some pretty interesting questions. It might be a long time before we know which process led humans to start having relationships and there's probably a good chance that there were heaps of different factors acting at the same time. But either way, once humans started to pair up, then it became sensible in evolutionary terms for dads to start helping to raise their kids. And that raises a new interesting question. Is it possible that all the extra energy in kids' diets that came from their helpful dads who were sticking around might have actually provided the extra fuel we needed to support a bigger brain? I mean, brains are really expensive organs to run. Our brains need a pretty steady supply of energy-dense food in order to operate well. So maybe we owe at least some of our amazing intelligence to the evolution of relationships and to our dads. This has been Dissecting Love. My name's Eddie. See you next time. I don't know where I've been I can't recall if I'm wearing thin I don't mind if I'm lost I don't mind if I'm tired and failed and lost Yeah.